This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Welcome to Practical for Your Practice. I'm Andy Santanello, and I've got Dr. Kevin Holloway with me today. Hey, Kevin, you want to say hello? Hey, everybody. And we are really excited to have Andrew Sherrill, Dr. Andrew Sherrill with us today. Hey, Andrew, do you want to say hi to folks and let them know a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. So first, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about this stuff today. Um, I'm an assistant professor at Emory University School of Medicine. I mostly work with Emory Healthcare Veterans Program. Um, I My day-to-day job is, you know, I, using uh, PE to treat PTSD and researching uh, PE and disseminating it through training and, and uh, consultation. Uh, I think I'll, we'll be talking a lot about consultation. I, I run our uh, prolonged exposure consultation training program where we train um, advanced PE clinicians to become uh, consultants in PE and in the process um, provide consultation to a lot of trainees. Um, so we just completed our, la- our last cohort. We've trained about 50 uh, PE consultants and about 100 uh, PE trainees through the process. So yeah, I've got lots of thoughts about this. A lot of this is just going to be kind of, you know, spitballing what I think is going to be helpful for people looking for consultation. Um, and I'm just, I want to start off by saying I'm, I'm happy to, that people are listening to this conversation. I think it shows that you're you're curious and you'll see that's kind of what I think is the most important part in this. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about your experience, not only training clinicians, but training consultants. And it's, it's sort of interesting because, you know, you and I met mm-hmm. in a consultation group. That's right. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, we, you know, I, I forget how long it was, but I, you know, been also doing ACT for, you know, all throughout grad school in my early part of my career, um, but was really craving, especially once I got licensed to, to get consultation, especially from peers, people that uh, had been around the block longer than I had. Uh, and uh, I just loved our peer consultation group. It was so great. I, I think professionally and personally, it was really a... Uh, really important for me. Um, it was maybe six months or uh, maybe longer. I'm not sure how long I was a part of it. Uh, once coronavirus started, my whole schedule changed. So I had to leave it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people uh, can relate to coronavirus yeah. Sure, yeah. making, making people change in unexpected ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, it, but about that was you know, after uh, I felt way more confident in act, uh, you know, following uh, you know, working with you guys for that time. And, and it inspired uh, some colleagues and I to lean into ACT even more. We started a new intensive outpatient program for OCD based off exposure therapy and ACT. And um, I would have not felt that confidence and prepared if not for peer consultation. So I, uh, I'm a, such a big fan of consultation, whether it's as a consultant or a consultee. I think it's one of the ways we learn in our field and, and so important. I'm glad that you said, so So obviously this is something that's really important to you. And it's it's a topic that I know is important to me. Kevin, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I know this is also really important to you. Very much, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it, it, it's interesting to think back on my own experience with consultation, you know, just 
Um, I remember being a student, right, in in grad school and and, and hating you know, <laughs> having the video record sessions and yes. show them and be scrutinized and criticized and you know and and similarly in in training workshops doing role plays and, mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. and then it was funny like just just after being licensed it was almost like this recognition of loss like oh my gosh I don't have that anymore <laughs> you know now I'm yeah. kind of on my own and. Yeah. I mean, of course, before licensure, it was all supervision and consultation is a little bit different. But, you know, I, I found myself kind of craving those opportunities, looking for those those chances to bounce ideas off of other people and, and get other mm-hmm. people's input. So, yeah. yeah, I remember thinking like, well, I'm licensed now. I could do whatever I want. Right. <laughs> and it would be like, oh, no, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm responsible for all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, there's, there's that like responsibility or a part of freedom. It's like, I'm free and I'm responsible. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I do think that there's, I, I think in general, a lot of people that at least that, that we train at, at workshops at CDP mm-hmm. also seem to recognize the value of consultation. Like we we'll talk about consultation in the workshops and, and kind of like what opportunities are available for folks. And then, there, there, there seems to be like a general agreement. Oh yeah, that's great. And I'm going to be there. And, and then something gets in the way, like between mm-hmm. that and when we're actually holding consultation groups and calls. So yeah, and I, I bet you've got some thoughts about what gets in the way, <laughs> yeah. Andrew. So I, you, what are some of the, I mean, I think probably you ask 10 clinicians if consultation and learning is important to them and nine nine out of ten probably all ten will say yes and if it were like anonymous nine out of ten would say yes mm-hmm. um you know most clinicians definitely value growth so what what are some of the things that you've kind of noticed you know maybe like personally but also in your work that tend to be challenges for folks yeah so in preparing for this 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 interview today i thought about myself a lot i thought about all the the folks we've trained and um you know, I, I, I think it goes a little bit deeper than just the availability of consultants and resources. I think this mm-hmm. discussion is ultimately kind of personal. So I, I kind of put together, uh, you know, Andrew's list of top five barriers to consultation. And, and you'll see it kind of starts well, well before consultation and really um, something deeply personal. So I um, uh, so I'll just kind of go through my list of what I think are the five big barriers and I'll kind of talk about them and, and give people some actionable intel uh, related to each of those, those barriers. Um, and you'll definitely hear like my act Ben coming through this is going to be pretty clear. Um, and, and when I give some examples, I'm going to be pulling from uh, PE experience and act experience, but I'm going to try to talk kind of generally for a broader audience. Um, so what, what I've noticed, the first barrier I feel like are uh, unclear therapist values. Um, and this happens to all of us. Like we often think we have a good sense of our values, but we can get out of touch with, uh, with it pretty quickly, or we can maybe adopt other people's values. And I think um, when we don't really know what we care, what we care about, what we're passionate about, or what we really need, um, it makes everything else more difficult. Uh, the second one is a kind of a denial of your skill set. And I'll talk about why we might be in denial of our current uh, skill set. The third uh, barrier I feel like is our vague learning goals. And then all that happens before trying to find a consultant. But I think that's the fourth barrier, like actually finding a consultant that, that you can work with. And then the fifth barrier I have is um, an unproductive consultation. So to start off from, from the very top, um, I guess this this get pretty personal. And I'd like for the listener to kind of um, allow this to kind of uh, apply to them. And I, wanna, I don't want to talk about 
trainees as a big group, but kind of talk to individuals. You know, we all have values as human beings. I, I don't think um, the first, this first barrier, unclear therapist values, I'm going to validate. I'm not suggesting therapists don't have values. We're very passionate people that care a lot. Um, well, and let me just clarify with you because that, that word values is, is loaded. And so uh-huh. my sense of it is you're talking it from, from a more of an act values perspective and yes. I'm putting you on the spot here, but what would be sort of a, a sort of a definition that you would give to the type of value you're talking about? Mm-hmm. I like to think of values as kind of a, like a, a direction in life, kind of like a quality of like behavior. Well, yeah. Like a show, like a, a the chosen life direction, a, right. a, a way of being that matters to you you know, something yeah. that, that you choose as important versus uh-huh. being like a should or a, you know, a rule that you have to follow, or you're going to be bad if you don't follow it, that type of thing. Yeah. So maybe I, some examples. Yeah. And I just noticed right now, I think I just noticed some anxiety came coming up for me because one thing I've, I value so much is being able to kind of relay this information to people because it's so powerful. So I, I was noticing mm-hmm. I was treating it very carefully. Well, and I'm, uh, I'm noticing some guilt and shame coming up because one of the things I value <laughs> is making sure that people feel comfortable and I take yeah. care of them. And I, yeah. I'm sorry for putting you in that position. Yeah. No, I love this. This is, this is, this is great. Um, it's like so for mine part of my values as a therapist right and this overlaps with my personal life I'm, i think sometimes our therapist values might be different from our personal values uh sometimes not for me i find that in the therapy session i really crave um freedom i i crave growth learning creativity and then i think what was surprising to me was cheerleading um i love seeing this in my patients but also in myself so I'm always asking, like in terms of behavioral like directions or life directions, in the moment, it, what am, am I helping the patient grow or experience freedom and independence, learn, be kind of uh, creative in, um, in, in, in what they're going through? I think this is so important because it kind of can let us know, uh, like uh, inform the discomfort we experience in our lives when, when we struggle as therapists. Why, where is that struggle coming from? And so let's start, like, I want to ask the listener to do this. So think about your last session you had, where you know it was a good session. Uh, take a few seconds to kind of think, why was it a good session? And I'll give you just a few more seconds with this. If you're driving, keep your eyes open. This is not a mindfulness exercise, <laughs> All right? There's probably some pretty personal reasons for you of why it was a good session. You might have seen, like in my case, if, if I see my patients learn something new about their emotions, um, I love that. I love seeing a new relationship to what, what they're going through. Um, or maybe seeing a, a patient exercise choice in a way they haven't exercised in, in, in the past. Um, that's what makes therapy so invigorating for me. It's like knowing what we care about, we our emotions can show up when we're not achieving that. That's kind of the other side of the values. When our patients aren't growing or they're not experiencing choice, we often can maybe feel some kind of shame or guilt or discomfort. And that's potentially very helpful for therapists learn, like navigating the learning process. So the second barrier, often patient or in denial of our skill sets, because it's, it's sometimes difficult to kind of notice that what we want to do as professionals is not what's happening. Um, but you can take that discomfort instead of trying to get rid of it or be in denial of it. You can kind of help inform what, what do you do next? What do you, where, in what ways do you need to grow? In what ways do you need to uh, improve your own skill set? My actual intel to um, 
like responding to this barrier of denial of a skill set is to find objective means to accept, to assess your skills. There are fidelity rating sheets out there. There are patient outcomes. You can get feedbacks from colleagues. You can get feedback from your patients to see how you're doing. And, and if there is some discomfort, good. Ask yourself why. Um, that's going to show you why you, that you do care in, in your own unique way and can tell you what, what do you need to do. Consultation, what kind of training do you need next? One of the things that uh, I'm kind of noticing in the first couple of barriers you mentioned have a lot to do with therapist discomfort and awareness of what matters, but also aware, aware of maybe the gulf between how you want to be as a clinician and how you actually are. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, Kevin and I, just before we started here, we're talking a bit about one of the things that sometimes we notice, you know, not only in ourselves, but in workshop participants who've maybe been in the field for a while is almost this pressure to be the expert yes to sort of hold on to this identity of someone who is competent and how how uncomfortable it is when you've been in the field for a while noticing like you don't know it all mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. absolutely and, and even sometimes the the interesting things people will do to try to quickly resolve that discomfort or the cognitive dissonance associated with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and what I, one of the other things I'm hearing you say that I really appreciate is that it doesn't have to be resolved immediately. Like there's a value in sitting in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and just, I'm sorry for interrupting again, keep interrupting you. Hey, Andrew, will you come on the podcast and we're not going to let you talk. <laughs> um, I think about one of the things I hear a lot from folks, when consultation is brought up, I really want to do that, but I'm too busy, but, um, I'm not sure I can commit to, you know, doing six weeks in a row who has time for that. Like the reason giving starts to show up. Here's something that really matters to me and mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable. So let me find a good reason not to do it, you yep. know, and nobody's going to argue with you're busy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, right. you can have to prioritize things. So. Yeah. And then unfortunately, when people do that, it can, it can disconnect them from their values. It's okay to sit with it. Like we can't be the best at everything at all times. Um, I've only kind of really figured out PE and ACT. There's so many other things I want to do, but I'm just working really hard still in figuring out PE and ACT. Um, and it, it's, I'll admit, it's hard to sit with that to know like, wow, I, I'm kind of incompetent with this patient right now. I don't know what to do with this patient. Um, and I can kind of get rid of it with reason giving or promising myself, okay, maybe I'm going to do this in the future, right? Um, or, or maybe just rely on skills that I have from another modality and try to use that instead, rather than kind of sitting with the discomfort and owning that th these are my values that I care about. Um, um, and then, and, and from that perspectability, instead of this rush to just get rid of the discomfort, which is what none of us want to do, we're here to help the patient's discomfort <laughs> more so than our own. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So again, so all this kind of exploration of oneself, their, their values, their own values, and where, where their skills are at, it brings you to this this third barrier that we see all the time, which is these vague learning goals. Mm -hmm. um, people go to workshops, even start consultation. And they don't really quite know why. Um, it might be about CE credits. It might be about satisfying their boss. It might be some kind of like some kind of top-down mandate. It might be because they think somehow it's going to be helpful to have just a lot of treatments listed on their Psychology Today profile, right, or their or their CV. And um, uh, when when learning goals are really grounded and linked to values, then you're able to learn with intentionality. I, I think. Um, you know, I, one thing I, I like to say a lot is 
this field providing therapy is way harder than I think we kind of acknowledge. I think we all like to pretend like it's easy somehow. <laughs> it's difficult and learning any kind of difficult task requires intentionality, requires openness, vulnerability. And um, a person's values can really kind of fuel that, that effort that's required for intentionality. If you're, if you're not sure why you're doing it, or if it's for like these kind of more extrinsic um, uh, motivators, the learning might be a little bit shallow. Um, that's a really important distinction you're making there that I, I want to highlight. You know, so when the, the goal is, you know, given to you by some external source or is about getting some sort of box checked, like I know a question that often comes up uh, is, you know, how do I get certified in X? Mm -hmm. like how do I get, how do I get the thing that says I'm competent to do this? And, which is different than how do I continue to grow and learn how to do this better, you know? So I think that that sort of internal values consistent way of approaching training versus external yardstick, let me check the box way of going about training is gonna make a, make a big difference in the way you approach something like consultation. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think back to some of our, our previous trainees and so, some are just so, um, so inspiring. Some were mentioned that they had just had a hard time sitting with um, a person who's had their heart broken, who has experienced um, horror and extreme loss and, and wanted because of their goals to be able to sit with patients with those feelings, to be, be able to kind of go through the valley of, 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 of these strong emotions while they're trying to develop new behaviors and new perspectives. Uh, those patients did so well, ultimately. Um, and when I gave them the certificate, it was like, oh, you know, thanks, you know, you know, Right. It's kind of irrelevant. We have had trainees that have only really wanted the, the certificate. Um, and when we looked at their tapes and we helped them kind of develop skills to uh, sit with the emotion, um, they never uh, developed those skills. And when mm -hmm. it came down, you know, to, to them asking for the certificate, we've had to deny it for a, a few folks because they, they didn't really do that intentional learning that developed competencies um, that we wanted to see. So it, it um, yeah, I, I, and I got to say, I don't want to just say this happens with trainees we've seen. It's happened to me. Yeah, me too. Would, well, I'm thinking about both of those two, those two <laughs> things. And I'm thinking about, gosh, you know, there have been times where I've fallen into both camps. So, you know, and, and yeah. the reality is there are some times in, in our professional lives where we're, we have to do things that are more about like get the box checked. And the mm. motivation is just to, to do it, to get that out of the way. It, you know, that's just a reality. And there are, you know, there are consequences to that way of being though. It sounds like what you're saying. And you've kind of seen that in your, your consultees. Yeah. 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 yeah and, the, and the consequence is just ultimately getting even further removed from the value. You can start maybe uh, resenting your trainer, maybe resenting um, just the whole field. And you feel like you're, the cards are stacked up against you. Like you can't get what you want out of things. Mm. Um, so, so that, that bring, brings me to the, the kind of the next barrier, this difficulty finding a consultant. It is true that uh, it's very hard to find a consultant. Our field just hasn't really caught up. It requires a lot, it's a huge logistical and financial challenge to have an army of consultants that can, that can help our, our therapists. So I do want to validate that, yeah, maybe the cards are stacked up against you. Maybe it's hard to really develop in the way you want to develop. And, and I talk from a place of privilege. I work at an academic medical center. We have plenty of resources. I'm sure a lot of our listeners um, don't have that. 
So that, that's true. And it's true, though, that we do have a thriving community that's getting bigger and bigger of people that are willing to share and collaborate. And, and my biggest advice for finding consultants is, is to participate, you know, to join communities, uh, to join peer consultation, to to uh, go to conferences, to go to virtual conferences, to join Facebook groups. There's a really active PE Facebook group uh, that has great questions and there's connections being made all the time that are helping people uh, you know, achieve their, their learning goals. Often that does translate into a more formal consultation, um, but that might be down the road. Maybe for some folks in their learning process, it's helpful to have some informal consultation before they're willing, they're, they're ready and willing to commit to um, a formal consultation, which is often kind of costly. Uh, I think it, you know, I think we have to expect that right now in our field, consultation is, is going to cost money either out of your pocket or your employer's pocket or the pocket of some uh, agency that's funding a training program. Um, so, and in my sense, in my, my experience in the field so far is these communities are very um, open. I think I like to, I've noticed that we're all nerds and we all nerd out about stuff. <laughs> yes. Guilty um, as charged. Yeah, that was a surprising thing for my field. I thought like, oh man, all these cool researchers, all these cool psychologists, like, am I going to fit in? And then I realized, no, no, we're all the same kids in, in, in high school that were nerds and, you know, <laughs> just wanted to talk about nerdy stuff. And um, uh, so, um, yeah, I, it could be simple as also like a, a listserv, right? And let the world know that you want to learn. Um, and there's going to be people that just happen to have more experience than you in this one area. And they're going to crave like helping you learn. Um, the way you're talking about consultation is really important here too. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think I know the first thing I think about when I think about consultation is you're with a, an expert, you're talking in, in sort of hour segments over a course of time, they're giving you feedback. That is one way to do consultation. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I really like what you're saying here about kind of let, let the world know you, you want to learn. Mm -hmm. And there could be some ways that are less time intensive, less resource intensive to at least sort of begin that process. Mm. Right. Um, like I, I think that's like, at least I could speak for PE. I think for PE, the gold standard is like seeing somebody, a consultant for maybe six months where they were review all of your recordings of sessions and they're rating your sessions on a fidelity rating sheet and meeting with you every week to give you feedback. That, that, that's great training. That's the, that's what we do in our training program. It's uh, maybe not that scalable. If you can get, if that's ever available for you, yeah. go for it. You know um, it, it's a, a great learning experience and there are, we, just people that have graduated from our program, we've got a, a small army of about 50 consultants that, that might be willing to help people with that. But that's not the only way of, of learning. Um, there's things you can do before and after that that, that can set you up. Um, I've seen, I just got some feedback from our clinic about how many patients I've seen in PE. So in, in since being at Emory for five years, I've seen about 100 patients in PE. And I still feel like I've got a lot of room to grow. I still feel like I need consultation. In fact, we do consultation every week in, in our group. And it's, it's such an important part of our process. So it's when we're talking about consultation, we're really talking about learning, right? And so learning can take a lot of different forms. Um, if you think that the only type of learning you can do is a workshop followed by a very formal, uh, you know, a consultation program, you're going to miss out on so many other uh, opportunities to learn. And also from the consultant side of it, and I, Kevin, you and I often talk about this, 
uh, you know, coming up with more flexible models to meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I mean, Kev, both Kevin and I have been through the exact same process you're talking about mm -hmm. several times, you know, with the intensive workshop and then the, you know, the tape review and which is fantastic training. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I think maybe important for all of us who are in the business of disseminating EVP is to think more about how do we think more flexibly about what constitutes learning and the learning experience. Mm -hmm. do, do you agree with that, Kevin? I, I do. And, and I, I think we, we want to put some effort and time and resources into thinking about other ways to support people in their learning and not, you know, hold rigidly to that one model. I, I think it's important too. I agree with that. I, I've learned a lot and grown a lot in those very formalized, very structured consultation arrangements too. And there's, you know, again, there, there can be resources and like you said, communities and, and discussions that, that how do we help support that as part of the dissemination effort rather than just saying, you know, we're going to do a workshop and then you can come to consultation scheduled on these days and that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for those of us that are more in the consultant or training role, there's so many opportunities to learn when we do things from less of a formal kind of structure. When we're thinking of uh, like peer consultation or stuff on Facebook, right? A lot of these people that we work with, um, they teach us a lot. Uh, and was very much bi-directional um, mm -hmm. we, and they challenge us. I think sometimes the more informal consultation has given me uh, great things to reflect upon, you know, so get challenged with how we do certain things. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I feel like the, you know, our field seems to be moving more and more in that direction. I, the key I think is, um, and this is again, again, kind of personal, like to let our field be a little bit, um, uh, more kind to everybody to um, accept that we all have inherent like kind of value and, and, and uh, importance from our own perspectives and our own uh, situations to not kind of think hierarchically um, as if like some people are the experts and have all the answers. Um, ultimately we are all humans trying to, you know, help each other uh, learn out, learn to help other people improve their lives. Um, and so like kind of just respecting that every kind of clinicians, professionals inherent worth is going to, uh, help us uh, get better and better at what we do. And I think we're, we're going to see more and more of that in um, these, these new models of consultation that are coming out or mm -hmm. like gentle touches, um, you know, uh, listservs, Facebook groups, group chats. Yeah, so it's shocking that reinforcement is a better way to help people <laughs> turns out learn than punishment. I know you had uh, one more, one more challenge barrier that yeah. you want to talk about on your list. So, mm -hmm. so the, so let's say, so the first four barriers, right? You have a deal, uh, what your values are, you know what your skills are, you have good learning goals, you finally find your consultant. One big barrier is that consultation becomes unproductive. It's, um, you're not getting the feedback you want. You're, there's logistical barriers to being able to get kind of timely feedback. Um, um, I think uh, for a lot of these consultation problems, it stems from they're not being um, a productive a relationship. So I like to think of all these all consultation as occurring in a relationship. Um, and so we've seen dozens of consultant consultee dyads. Um, and the ones that have like the best outcomes clear had clear signs of investment in the, in the relationship. Uh, there was intimacy, candidness, validation. Um, it, it's a relationship where um, there's only one difference between the two parties. Like one person happens to know more about one thing. You know, it's not like supervision. It's not, um, 
it's not necessarily hierarchical. One person just has done some one little thing more, more time than the, than the other person. And kind of accepting that, that, that that's the case uh, allows there to be no power struggle. You can kind of get over that and, and um, allow for a relationship that's kind of defined by candidness and validation and vulnerability. Um, I think to do that, to kind of overcome that barrier of having an unproductive uh, consultation experience is to talk about the relationship, to set up parameters. With all of our trainees, I set up a, a contract and I'll say, this is the kind of stuff we'll do. This is when we're gonna meet. This is the kind of stuff we'll talk about. Here's like uh, ways we can signal to each other that we've maybe gone too far with the vulnerability. Uh, and uh, it, it sets up expectations for both sides and uh, opens up the door for both sides to kind of uh, give feedback on how the, how the relationship is doing. Um, you know, I think a helpful thing about the vulnerability is not just to be vulnerable to be vulnerable, but to think like, you know, what do you need to share in order to enhance behavior change? That might be like a recording of your session. It might be disclosing your own worries and concerns, maybe sharing your values, maybe sharing your dreams. Um, these, that, that's the kind of informa information that is uh, needed in, in consultation to, um, you know, set up uh, learning experiences where you can actually change your behavior and, and grow. You know, that, that willingness to be vulnerable and to share your hopes and dreams and your fears in and of itself seems like a theme throughout these barriers, right. you know, that has mm -hmm. to be, and it has to come from a place of you, you want something, something matters to you and you're willing to put yourself in a position where it may be uncomfortable. It may put you in a position where you're going to be vulnerable, but what you get from that is the opportunity to grow and learn. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, it's so much similar to therapy. I mean, <laughs> right. a lot of what we've learned about what helps patients is going to help us out. We're not different. We're human, right? We need, we need that chance to um, uh, not have the same kind of contingencies that we, we might be perceiving or experiencing and, and, uh, you know, grow in, in the very much a values-based way, not a, uh, you know, performative or, or uh, evaluative kind of way. So Andrew, I want to thank you again for, I know you're super busy. Thanks so much for making, I think you said you've already had four patients today yeah, and yeah. making coherent sentences, which is yeah. amazing in <laughs> and of itself. Yeah, that's uh, good. I'm less, I'm less in my mind, you know, I have to, I have to be in the moment in order to just to function at this point. Absolutely. <laughs> So, you know, uh, I, I really appreciate the, the five barriers and actionable intel. So maybe just really quickly before we wrap up here, if you could summarize what those barriers are and, and then maybe just a little piece of advice on how clinicians who value growth could start to work through maybe some of those barriers to consultation. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I tried thinking about this um, you know, using these kind of actionable, actionable intel, intel as as behaviors. So the mm -hmm. uh, first barrier again, so unclear therapist values, uh, which you can do with that is clarify your own values. And for those ACT folks listening to this podcast, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, if you don't, maybe talk to one of your ACT colleagues. Maybe that could be a consultation task for you with not uh, necessarily an, an ACT expert or something you have to pay money for. Just talk with your buddy about like, why do you like therapy? You know, what, what, what kind of makes you in all of your patients? What do you like to see? Um, uh, the second barrier is denial of, the, of one's own skill set and 
again, this is another act process to kind of overcome that barrier is, is to learn to not just accept your skill set with objective measures, but also the emotion that comes with it. And kind of mm -hmm. notice that that emotion that comes from maybe a, a, a insufficient skill set um, is a good thing. It's a signal about what you care about. And that could be motivation for the next step, which is instead of uh, vague learning goals being a barrier, to be able to identify clear goals that are linked to your values. Um, and because they're linked to your values, pursuing them with intentionality. Um, so again, it's not just about like sitting in on experience to say you did it, but have specific reasons. Like if I value um, uh, creativity, right? How can I use consultation or some learning experience um, to um, increase the likelihood that I'm gonna take risks with patients, that I'm gonna ask the patients to take risks with me and provide a context that makes that uh, a, a reinforcing um, activity to do in therapy. The fourth, fourth one is difficulty finding a consultant. My actionable intel with that is just is persistence, right? Um, to accept that it's not easy and there are possibilities. And we talked a, a bit about those, but I just want to mention just cold emails to people. A lot of times people don't feel like they're, they're not going to get a reply from folks because there's some famous researcher. Um, everybody in this field wants uh, people to do what they're doing because we're, we're invested about it. So you might be surprised how quickly uh, a cold email can be forwarded to the next person that you could, you could get in, in touch with. But if that doesn't work, persist and persist and persist. Then notice that like there's no end to your values. There's always going to be uh, a direction you can take in, in your persistence and finding the learning experiences you want. Then the fifth uh, barrier, again, is an unproductive consultation. You did all the work to get patient and just kind of isn't what you want. And, and, and I, I suggest that that's often the root cause of that is a, uh, a consultation relationship um, that isn't working for one at least one part of the, uh, of the doctor. And to kind of think of that consultation relationship with as much intentionality as you do your, your learning goals. And um, I could go on more, but I kind of wanted to, to do just five barriers. It felt like a nice, uh, like clickbait buzz, uh, you know, buzz list or buzzworthy list, whatever it's called. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I got for now. Maybe, maybe sometime in the future, I'll come back and talk many more about barriers, but try to make it not seem like a, a, a a doom and gloom story, but kind of highlight all the facilities <laughs> that we have in our field. Well, we would love to have you back on at some point Definitely. and maybe we can rope you in for some other things at TDP mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Dr. Cheryl. And we'll also include, if you have any other resources that you would like folks to know about and in terms of consultation, we can include them with the show notes to sure go with this podcast. Mm -hmm. So this is Andy Santanello signing off. Kevin, you wanted to say... Goodbye to the good folks. Yep. Thanks everybody for joining. And, and thank you so much, Dr. Cheryl, for joining us too. It's been a, a fantastic conversation. I, I definitely have taken things from it that I'm going to apply to myself as well. Great. Thanks all for having me. And thanks everybody for listening to this. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.